It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Happy Monday. We have a lot to get to tonight, so it's a good thing we are an extra large Spain and Fitz taking you right up to NBA action starting at 9.30 Eastern here on ESPN Radio. You heard it was going to be that second NBA game of the night. Dallas and Phoenix. We've got Philadelphia and Miami tipping off any moment. We're going to get into that and also take a look back at our first round picks and how we did. But Fitz, we got to start with some breaking news. So it's time for Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Adam Schefter reporting some devastating news for the Cardinals. Here's what he had to say. DeAndre Hopkins is being suspended six games for violating the NFL's performance enhancing drug policy. The Cardinals have known about the suspension. I believe it contributed to the fact that they traded for Marquise Brown on draft night, but Kyler Murray is losing his top weapon on the offensive side of the football. Now, they did re-sign and bring back A.J. Green, and they do have Rondell Moore, and they did trade for Marquise Brown. But they're going to be without DeAndre Hopkins now for the first six games of the season. That is official. That'll be announced at a later date. But DeAndre Hopkins no longer will be a part of this football team for the first six games, Laura. Fitz, we know what happens to Kyler Murray when D-Hop is out. The numbers go down. We'll get into all of that and why there won't be any sort of attempt to appeal a little bit later in the show. I don't know if you have a thought now, but we're definitely going to cover a little more D-Hop later. Yeah, we'll cover it in a minute, but it it absolutely means everything to some of the logic of what happened on draft night. That's called a tease. We'll talk more about draft night. It does explain a lot. Uh, No word yet from uh, Kyler Murray, who's been unhappy all season long. I'm sure this will help. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We got, as I mentioned, 76ers at Heat tonight. Mavericks at Suns is the late game. Before we can move on to address the second round, the first games of which we saw last night, or I guess yesterday afternoon, we first have to look back at how we did on our first round picks. And we have not heard this, and I frankly can't remember where I landed that night, so let's see what happened. All right, let's get to the West. The aforementioned Suns, who have just been world beaters start to finish all season long, taking on the winner of that Pelicans Clippers. Who you got? Yeah, the Suns are going to take him back to the shed and make him think about what they did for even making us watch it. The Suns win easy. Yeah, I agree with you. This Suns team is about as much of a, of a sure thing, as much of a lock as you can get in an always up and down and confusing NBA season. Grizzlies, Timberwolves. This one is fun. As much as I think the Timberwolves are a real tough matchup for anyone because of the inside-outside game of Cat, the Grizzlies are too strong for me. Yeah, the Grizzlies are too strong, too deep, too good, too fast. Warriors Nuggets without Steph, likely, at least for the beginning of this. I think the Nuggets, in a close series, I think the Nuggets win this one. I think my gut's going to tell me Warriors in this one. All right, Mavs, Jazz. It's the Jazz. No Luka, no, no, nothing sure without uh, Luka, and so yeah, I'm taking the Jazz. Uh, I don't feel good about it. I feel like Luka's going to come in and be Superman suddenly, but no, I'll take the Jazz. <laughs> This is going to be one that we're going to be able to take a mulligan on later once we find out what's going on with Luca. But with my expectation for the strained left calf potentially keeping him out for more than just game one, which is the only one we know he's out for for sure, I'm going to have to say the Jazz as well. Uh, Heat versus the Hawks or Cavs. Who you got? Heat big. I got the Heat big as well. Celtics Nets. Mm. I'm, taking the, I'm taking the Nets. I'm taking Ooh. the Nets. 
right now I'm taking the Celtics. Bucks, Bulls, unfortunately, the Bucks. I'll be happy if the Bulls get two games, and I think they'll probably only win one. Yeah, I agree with that. Now what do we have on Sixers, Raptors? Who you got? Terrible matchup. Sixers, Raptors. I got the Sixers in this round. I got the Sixers. Huh? I'm sorry. What What did he say? I got the Sixers. One more time? Mm, I got the Sixers. That's obviously I have the Sixers. We might I mean, have some no controversy here. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not One sure. One more time. One more time. I got the Sixers. Oh, Convenient. Yeah. The in Convenient for you, you to turn anyway. into a robot. To turn into a anyway. robot. Uh, I was seven of eight on my picks. Uh, you were five of eight, assuming we give you that you said Sixers there and not Raptors. Oh, it's definitely Sixers. Definitely I got Sixers. Six. <laughs> it sounds like you said, I've got syphilis. Well, I mean, that. Play I'm it again. not it saying I like, didn't yeah, say I'm, that. I agree, Sarah. Play it again. Try that again. I got six. <laughs> <laughs> or I've got the Olympics. I've got, I got the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it says I have the Sixers, Sarah. I think that's obvious to hear in that translation. Like, there's I'd, no question I'd, about it. I'd quibble, but it doesn't matter because I won is always a good thing for you. Yeah, you didn't bet yeah. anything on it. Speaking of, you still have not paid off your bet where you have a song about me. Oh, yeah, actually, that, that's a good reminder. You know, that is a good reminder because the song's done. So we just oh, need okay, to actually wow. play together. You. So, you know, there we go. Uh, I got, actually, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, um, uh, and by the way, speaking of bets, I did, you know, I got a little courageous. Maybe maybe a little liquid courage while I was in Vegas. I put some cash down on the second round on a couple of ooh. these series. So, uh, God, I hope I do better than I just did with you because otherwise, mm. you know, maybe a cardboard box would be my new house. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, we did decent. I did quite well. You did okay. A little bit better than 500. <laughs> uh, Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. So now that we've got the first round out of the way, I would say for both of us, the biggest surprise was Dallas uh, outlasting Utah. It, it shouldn't necessarily have been a surprise with the way the Jazz performed in the postseason, but I think Luca's health really made that. Like I said, I gave us a mulligan before that one even started, so I feel good about uh, pr- predicting that we might uh, not not do, not do well there. Um, I I think the team that I have most changed my mind about since the the postseason started is the Warriors uh, because as Steve Kerr said when this series started, uh, I have no expectations. I don't know what to expect. Half the team is savvy vets with a number of rings, and the other half have zero playoff experience. And what I've seen so far has been pretty darn good. Yeah, I think the Warriors so far have been the best team in the West in the playoffs, and that. Uh... Begs out when you look at game one, obviously, that we saw against uh, Memphis last night, which was an incredible game. I'm not going to put too much weight in what I think is going to be a very Mm -hmm. good series. I I just I look at the way the Warriors played. And I think early on, we all knew that I'd made a mistake with that series because the Warriors seemed to just have one advantage after the other from the minute that thing started. So, you know, that's one of the the tough parts about those picks coming in before the, the games actually started because certainly after it, it took all of one game to realize that the Nuggets were outmatched and the Nuggets are in a very weird spot figuring out what to do moving forward. In the meantime, the Warriors are looking around saying, why not us? And, and in a West that looks pretty wide open, the question is, why not them as well as they're playing? It, it looks open, but I'll tell you, as much as uh, the Suns looked great wire to wire in the regular season, once Booker is back more to his 100% self, uh, it's time to revisit how we felt about them a few short weeks ago. I mean, when Chris Paul can play like that when he needs to, not miss a single damn shot in a game to mm. close it out, can take over a fourth quarter like we saw in whatever game three or four. Um, 
I'm not ready to say the West is wide open. I think that I think we could end up with a really incredible CP3 versus Steph uh, Warriors versus Suns finals Ooh. there on that side. I'm not, of I'm not count, by the way. I'm not. Uh, I'm not counting the Warriors in in the next round. I still think the Grizz have a lot left in yeah. the tank. So I feel good about that. But you're right. Every time I've thought an injury was the reason to doubt the Suns, they've taken that opinion and crumpled it up and shoved it you nowhere for me. So uh, <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt at this point that I've been wrong about the Suns when it comes to injury every time this season. I thought you were going to say there's absolutely no more room up there. <laughs> yeah, well, it is it is chock full at this we point. Need you know, to make it's, another it's, prediction like that. If every time I had a prediction wrong, something <laughs> like I'd take a lot more time with my predictions explains, at that point. Uh, what you look like when you run, actually, <laughs> a lot of things are starting to make that sense. That is fair. That is it's fair. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel Eighty. Coming up, can the Sixers win this series against the Heat if Joel Embiid is out for an extended period? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. When the playoffs started, it'd be easy to look at the schedule and say, all right, the second-round matchup we'll all be salivating over, one of, would be the 76ers taking on the Miami Heat. That matchup starts tonight, but it starts without one of the biggest stars in the game. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and Spain and Fitz is brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Uh, everybody has had their eye on the 76ers and the Heat since the playoffs started with the thought of what this matchup could look like. But uh, it, it is going to be without Joel Embiid, at least for the first couple of games. In a few minutes, we'll bring in an expert that knows Philly well, and we'll figure out what that looks like. But that hasn't stopped any hot takes coming as Obviously, the 76ers without Joel Embiid, at least for games one and games two, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, there is optimism he could return to the Eastern Conference semifinal series as soon as game three or game four in Philly. He needs to clear concussion protocols and see a doctor midweek about his orbital fracture, uh, obviously injured in the last series. So, Sarah, it's hard for me to find a path that gets Miami through the Heat, who I think are an under-talked about the Sixers team. Sixers through the Heat, yeah. Or, or, sorry, the Sixers through the Heat. I think they're a little under-talked about Miami. is hard mm-hmm. to find that path without Joel Embiid, at least on the floor. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think we have not respected the Heat enough all season long, particularly defensively. They have the second-best defensive efficiency in the playoffs. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see what Bam does, particularly with a bit of a chip on his shoulder about not being um, the defensive player of the year, being in the running for it, as as he said. It, he thought it was about uh, people not respecting his team and his, 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 his uh, squad enough. But what we've seen... Very limited, just 44 minutes of James Harden on the floor without Embiid during the first round, minus 6.8 net rating. And during the season, minus 10. They were essentially a lottery team. They were down there with what the Blazers were at all season long. Mm. So without Embiid, this is not a good basketball team. Now, that changes when James Harden knows the expectation is that he needs to take over. The question is, can he still take over. I am completely in agreement with what I heard Tim Legler saying this morning on KJ and Max that basically if we're hearing a lot about Maxi after this game, that's a good sign for the Sixers. If we're hearing a lot about Harden, probably didn't go so well because he, like me, we're not sure that James Harden can go vintage anymore. 
they got to get a roll-back-the-clock vintage performance out of James Harden to, just to have a chance. He's got to control the game and dominate the game the way that he did in Houston for all those years, where he's, he's basically controlling it possession by possession with his ISO game and his high ball screen and getting to the line, hitting step-back threes, getting into the lane and making guys come so he can make guys better with lobs and kick-out threes. The problem is James Harden's not really capable of doing that anymore at that level. Look, if you take even 10% away from James Harden's explosive ability, you now put another 25 guys in the league that can guard him as opposed to two or three when he was in Houston at his peak and that's what I'm saying to expect him to go out there tonight and give you a 30 point 10 assist game efficiently Jay where he's controlling the action I think you and I agree on this where's that going to come from when we haven't seen it really since he got to Philadelphia I'm such Mm -hmm. a fan of the concept like proof of concept means so much and I steal it from you all the time when we talk about the fact that in big moments Harden has forgotten how to basketball that's our favorite phrase Mm -hmm. when describing it Now, all of a sudden, we're asking Harden to remember how to basketball at the same time that we're asking Harden to be openly relied on. Like, we're asking him to take on more of the workload and also have a bigger moment than we've seen in a long time. I just think for any, not just Harden, for any player, asking for that level of turbo button is a lot. I mean, we look across and we see someone like Jordan Poole who's been able to do it, giving the opportunity with Steph Curry coming off the bench. He's had two different career highs. Uh, He's learned from the leadership around him and been able to step up. But that's a guy who's just getting started, who we don't know what the peak and what's in there. Harden is a guy that I think the physical side of things was always what was predicted to drop off perhaps a little more precipitously than other players. And either we're seeing that early or he hasn't had it in him to push for that. And we'll find out because there isn't a bigger opportunity for him to prove he still can be this way than right now. Let's get some expertise. We're joined now by 76ers beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Keith Pompey. Keith, always appreciate your time, your insight, your brilliance. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. All eyes on Joel Embiid. No Embiid for game one or game two. So when do you think it's realistic we could see him back on the court? I think it's realistic that he can get on the court in game three. Um, Again, it's one of those things where, of course, he has to, like, uh, you know, do the the, uh, get past the protocol in regards to concussion protocol, which is a lot of different steps. And then secondly, you know, he does have a doctor's appointment midweek. And if he gets cleared for that, you know, I think that there's a realistic chance of that. Now, again, you know, he has to, I'm assuming that everything goes well for him, but, but I think that there's a realistic chance that we can see him on Friday. In his absence, a lot of folks are saying James Harden would have to be the guy he used to be, explosive, uh, being able to beat guys off the dribble, an aggressive scorer instead of facilitator. Do you think that's necessary for the Sixers to win with him beat out, and do you think it's possible for James to be that guy again? You know, at this particular time, I don't think it's possible. I mean, again, James may go out there and, and, and drop 40, right? But when you look at James this year, it just seems like because of the hamstring, He's had a tough time blowing by people and doing the things that, you know, he he used to do while he was at Houston. So I don't feel like right now the 76ers said, look, James, we want you to spread the floor and we just want you to attack. I don't think that that's a real good good coaching tactic. Now, the things that James strived in was being a really good facilitator. He picked his spots, but he got everyone involved, including Joel Embiid when he was there. I think that if, if James plays that way, I think that that's the best way for him to lead the Sixers to a victory because you got Tyrese Maxey, you got Tobias Harris. You know, I, I feel like it would be a waste if James just spread the floor 
and become ISO James all the time. What kind of adjustments do you expect Doc Rivers to make in this series? You know, I, I think that um, a, a lot of it, I think that what we'll do is we'll see a lot of junk lineups. You know, I know he's talking about we're going to have center by committee, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if they want small and you saw Tobias Harris and, and George Niang in there at the same time. Um, you know, he has nothing to lose, right? Um, so I, I feel like what he's going to do is he's going to try to get out there and run, and, and, and he's going to try to just do as many crazy lineups as he can to, to, to kind of keep Miami off guard a little bit. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Keith Pompey ahead of the Sixers starting their series with the Heat. Uh, what's the biggest challenge from this Miami team? Um, right now, I think when you look at Miami, they're extremely deep. I mean, right now you have Victor Oladipo coming off the bench. When you have Tyler Hero, you have a bunch of other guys. I think that you know, when you look at the Sixers uh, defensively, um, you know, they have one pretty good def- uh, perimeter defender in Matisse Thibel. He can't guard everyone, especially when they got these guys coming off the bench. So I think, like, matching um, the intensity and everything like that, that's cool with the starters. But when it comes down to the bench and the depth, that's going to be the, the biggest problem for the 76ers to contend with. Can they win this series if they don't have Embiid? It's going to be tough. No, I, I can't see them win the series without Embiid. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they split um, the first two games, you know, just because of that. But but I can't see them in the long run being able to win this series without Embiid, no. We appreciate your time, Keith, as always. Thanks for hanging out with us. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Pompey on Sixers. Keith, thanks for the great stuff. Enjoy the series, and uh, be well, my friend. And thanks for having me on, y'all. Yeah, Sarah, this is really simple. I mean, no Joel Embiid, not super competitive in the series. I don't think that's shocking to anybody. Be I just want to remind you that literally yes. eight minutes ago, you said you were going to stop saying that injuries were going to take a team out because you had no more room in your anus. Well, I mean, but then you got MVP injuries like that. Just, <laughs> there's a difference between MVP injuries. No, I mean, Philly's just not as good without Embiid. That's uh-huh, all I'm saying. Duh. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you. That's the hot That's a real hot take there. Only, Way to go. Yeah, you know what? And people say, I didn't play the game, so That's I don't right. know it. You know what? Without your MVP, you're not going to be good at this. All right, we'll keep breaking it down. But in the meantime, who are the winners and losers of the NFL draft? We'll break that down next. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And, uh, Sarah, there's big news, as we just heard in SportsCenter there today, with DeAndre Hopkins being suspended six games for violating the PED policy, which is obviously a huge loss for Arizona. Mm-hmm. But it also gives a little bit of an explanation, I think, that ties back to the NFL draft because we were fairly stunned at the draft in the first round when there was a trade from the Ravens sending Hollywood Brown over to the Cardinals. And it was like, well, wonder why they're being so aggressive in the wide receiver market. Now we know as the team, I'm sure, had knowledge that this could be coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. just a few short days ago. It at least starts to explain something that is going to try and help bridge that gap for a Cardinals team that's trying to not only keep Kyler Murray happy, but also be competitive in a wide-open NFC. Yeah, this is terrible news for the Cardinals. And uh, getting Brown, obviously, is a Band-Aid, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. I mean, this team is 
not the same with DeAndre Hopkins off the field. I mentioned the numbers earlier in the show, specifically with Hopkins, Kyler's QBR 62 without 46. Completion percentage goes from 72% to 65. Yards per attempt, 8.8 to 6.6. Most importantly, the team is 8-2 and two with Hopkins and 1-4 and four without. Mm. This is just not the same squad. And for all the satisfaction that we've seen from Kyler all offseason long, the idea that he would be starting a season understanding that he's going to be missing Hopkins for a third of it, mm, that is brutal. Yeah, that is going to be difficult for them to overcome. And, and like I said, it ties back to the NFL draft, which, by the way, as everybody knows, I spend so much of the year working on getting ready for. And we are now going to break down everything you need to know in sort of speed round fa- fashion here. I will first say, of course, Sarah, thanks to everybody that took the time to watch. The numbers will be released for the world soon. But it was the second most watched live event we've ever live streamed at ESPN. Woo! Behind only last year's NFL draft by the hair of our chinny chin chin and Congrats. the highest time spent watching of any live stream ever from ESPN. So so people stayed with us even longer. That's because the crew and everybody else did a great job. And you will be so proud of me. I was in the chair from 15 minutes before the first pick all the way to the very end. Both days, never once had to take a tinkle break. I'm not, that's that? not something to be proud of. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a serious medical issue. No, every six minutes on this show I have to pee. So I felt like I was good. Like I limited my water intake. I was ready to pee in a bottle, but Harry didn't want me to. So, you know, there yeah, we go. Yeah, that's gross. That, I'm well, you're proud welcome, of Harry America. for stopping you. Some that's professionalism is in yeah. order. Even if you're going to talk about rancid mac and cheese and other things, uh, at yeah. least pretend you're a pro. A lot of hangover references, too. Really, yeah. really yeah, yeah. drug that one into the ground. Let's get some winners and losers from the draft. I'll start here, and I'll give you a winner. And it is a team that I'm ha- very hard on all the time. But the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 absolutely great work by them. Sauce Gardner, I think, was the best corner in the draft. They pick him up at four. Garrett Wilson was the best wide receiver in the draft. They pick him up at ten. They trade back up to get Jermaine Johnson. A lot of Max had him, uh, Mox had him going at the top of the first round. They also get arguably the best running back in this draft, one of the best tight ends. Like They turned around and they gave themselves a young core to build on. I think the Jets hit a massive home run in this one. Uh, I agree, and I think of the Jets and the Lions as two teams where it's like, there's no reason for me to want them to be good. They're not my team, but I feel so sorry for them that when they do something that's universally heralded as positive, I actually hope it works out for them because what a disaster it would be for everyone to give them such a great grade and then for none of the players to work out, which we know is entirely possible with a draft. But here's fingers crossed for the Jets taking a step forward. I've got a loser for you, and it's the Patriots. And now I feel very uncomfortable saying that because every time the Patriots do anything, we just say, well, they're smarter than us, Right. They, nope. they must know something we don't know. This is this is proof that Bill Belichick's playing chess and we're playing checkers. But their pick of Tennessee Chattanooga guard Cole Strange literally had Sean McVay and Les Snead laughing on stage. Uh, they traded down from 21 to 29 and took him. He wasn't even on anyone's radar for a first-round pick. And whether or not you think it was appropriate of McVay to laugh, he did apologize to both uh, Strange and the team. It still was an indication of what many felt about this Patriots draft overall, which is just... I don't know if they're any good at this. They might have just had everything covered up by Tom Brady for all those years. I think there was only one pick, honestly, in the first round that the whole table looked at each other and said, huh, and it was when Strange was picked. I'll never forget Spencer Hall looking over and say, hey, Field, I don't know anything about him. you got to take this one. So right, we were a little right. caught off by that one. It's a little I- on the nose that his name is Strange. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, well done by you. Spade and Fitz, we're giving you some winners and losers from the NFL draft. I'm going to wrap a winner and loser all up in one here. I'm going to give you the winner of the Philadelphia Eagles, who, by the way, 
just a great draft by them to go out and get Jordan Davis, somebody I think we were all in love with that is going to be an absolute star. They get Jurgens, the center out of Nebraska that looks like he can play right away. N'Kobe Dean, the surprise faller in the draft. And they pull off a trade that gets them A.J. Brown from the Titans, who are also, I think, in this thing, a massive loser. And for everybody that says the Titans just didn't want to pay that position, I would remind that reports said the Titans were willing to pay up to $20 million. And A.J. Brown said specifically he was prepared to sign for 22. The problem is they lowballed the offer they had told him he was getting. That means they let a star player walk for $2 million. At the end of the day, Mm. I will never make that make sense in my mind. I think they lost. Yeah, uh, wasn't good. And your your loser also isn't just, uh, you know, the teams that lose out on wide receivers, but wide receivers in general are a loser for you. Yeah, wide, the wide receiver market showed you that a bunch of teams are like, you know what, I'm not going to pay that guy. For Hollywood Brown and A.J. Brown to both get traded rather than get signed in the same day in the first round, and then just to think that you can pick up the fourth or fifth or sixth best wide receiver in this year's draft and replace a star player, I don't know if that's gonna if that experiment works, but I think what we saw this year was the beginning of an experiment that will judge the value of wide receiver position forever. If this works, then you are going to see teams devalue them the same way running backs have, and everybody will simply not sign their guy. They'll churn and burn them, and mm-hmm. they'll get somebody else in the first round. It feels like it might be going the way of a running back. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're doing a quick winners and losers of the NFL draft. Fitz spent roughly uh, 84 hours of his life on this. We're going to whittle it down to about eight minutes um let's go to another winner and I mentioned it earlier I I just I think it's a win for the Lions that they end up with a guy who really wants to be there who's a hometown kid that everyone's super high on I hope Aiden Hutchinson is a star there I know I'm supposed to hate the Lions but how do you hate someone who's that pathetic I mean honestly and I I hate to say that because they're probably gonna be better than the Bears as will almost every other team this year but uh they've been so so dismal that getting a good draft grade and everyone being enthusiastic and having it include a guy like Aiden, who's a hometown kid, that's cool. I think the the craziest thing Field Yates said when Aiden Hutchinson was picked second overall was, how do you pick second overall and get value at that position? That's how good he thinks Aiden's going to be. So I'm with you all day that I will give that one a big old winner. Uh, I will give you a a loser on this one because somebody has to, right? Uh, Ed Marinero. Uh, we're just going to say that this is a loser yeah. here for the Vikings. Like, uh, he came out. I'm sitting there, and, you know, the way these broadcasts go, they tell us in our ear, hey, the pick's about to come in. But they don't want to tell us the pick in advance because one year Mina Kimes accidentally said it too early. So mm-hmm. they don't tell us until the TV broadcast shows us. So we get ready, and they put a camera right in our faces, and then we just sit there where while Ed Marinero does a little bit of this. This is crazy. We didn't have this many people when I played in the Super Bowl. You know, I got to tell you, (laughs) finding a Viking purple sport coat is not easy. But I did it. And I hope you appreciate it. Okay, Ed. Okay. Ed, you got to get off. I mean, that was Uh, the beginning of a multi-minute rant, Sarah. This is sad for me because here's the thing. At Cornell University, the fine institution from which I'm matriculated, we don't have very many opportunities to get a little chesty about professional sports. And Ed Marinero was the Heisman Trophy runner-up out of Cornell University. He went on to great fame, St. Elmo's Fire, the banger of a show, Sisters, starring Celia Ward, which I was a huge fan of, and my entire family would gather together on the couch to watch. And I remember hearing all about Ed Marinero and the glory days of Cornell football. By the way, shout out Kevin Booth, who won two titles with the Giants more recently. So we could still get it done coming out of Cornell. 
but I wasn't watching at this particular moment, and my menchies started blowing up with Cornell references, and I came running to say how proud I was, only to find that Ed Marinero was dragging the good name of Cornell through the mud by going on and on. And after the fact, when he eventually had to have a producer come out and be like, read the card, Ed, he said he thought he was going to get a Will Smith slap or something like that <laughs> because he went too long and he spent a little too much time on the fun stuff. I, that kind of would have made for a global sensation, especially yeah. if they had a rival come out and slap him. I would have been there for it. <laughs> I didn't even know we went to Cornell. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Ed's still uh, going on and on. I'll give you another winner, by the way. Some teams uh, always just get it right. Baltimore. I mean, it felt like yeah. every – when mm-hmm. I say multiple starters, like Kyle Hamilton we had on this show last week, I said I thought he might be the best player in this draft. But they all turn around – they also turn around to get Linderbaum out of Iowa center, probably their long-term center option there. Ajabo out of Michigan. Travis Jones, they get in the third round. A lot of mocks had him going in the first round. Falele, the Minnesota offensive lineman, could be a starter day one. For, I mean, they got starters all the way into the middle of the fourth round. They may have gotten five or six young guys that are building blocks. Like Baltimore just – some teams just know how to sit there, wait for it, and get it right, and they did. The Ravens certainly do. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, winners and losers of the draft. Another quick one, quarterback evaluators, Fitz. I think everybody was worried that somebody might just absolutely make an early run out of desperation. And people sat, and they were more patient than maybe some expected. Yeah, I was so proud to see, like, weirdly as this sounds, because we become so obsessed with that one position. It was nice to see so many of us were wrong about – teams making the reach and maybe some of these quarterbacks ended up in positions where they can actually develop which is better for the team and better for them Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance now a no frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance here it is you can say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive that's it see just a good old-fashioned straightforward ad see if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or progressive.com there was one other team that we did not get into there obviously that we think may have had a losing draft it's the Bears but more than just the draft, some of what was found out after the draft is significant. You need to hear it, and we'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Of me being no, Ed, Ed, stop. He's stop, still going. Ed. He's still going. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm. Uh, we're going to get to the Met Gala in a little bit, but – I just said police academy at the break. I meant naked gun. And now that I've identified the fish in the naked gun, I nailed it. Like, I actually think the designer of this gown, whoever the hell this is wearing it, used the fish from the naked gun as the inspiration. And I will tweet about it and all of this will make sense. It's Sarah Spade. It's Jason Fitz. Um, We just talked about some draft stuff. We got to get into last night. Also, Grizzlies Warriors game one uh, before we dive into uh, how tonight's games are going to get going. Uh, But but one thing we didn't get to at the draft fits that I wanted to mention quickly is that the Bears have fired uh, scout Chris Prescott after some comments he made about the team's second round pick Jaquan Brisker. And I thought Mina Kimes was very eloquent today on NFL Live as she talked about the larger issue of how some of these players are spoken to and questioned. This is a topic that comes up a lot uh, ahead of the draft, uh, but this year very specifically the comments of Brisker and also Thibodeau's uh, explanation of how he felt during the process inspired Mina to say this. First, I should say we weren't there, right? But what... Thibodeau is alleging is something that has plagued the draft process for decades, which is stories from black players of them feeling dehumanized, disrespected, or stereotyped um, by 
coaches, evaluators, the media of all backgrounds. I mean, Laura, this very weekend, a Bears scout said out loud that part of the reason they liked Jaquan Brisker, the safety out of Penn State, was because he was, quote, PhD, poor, hungry, and desperate. Mm. And you hear that and you think, man, if that's what they're saying in public, what is being said behind closed doors? I mean, it's amazing that Brisker has overcome adversity and he should be championed. But to reduce his story to a draft attribute like a 40 time is to reduce who he is as a human being. Um, this is something I think we've all been complicit in, uh, including the media, uh, in our word choice, the presentation of stories. But it's 2022, and by now we should really all know better. Fitz, I think she might have been slightly alluding to the tendency during draft coverage to pick some of the most dramatic and darkest moments from a player's history. And it does pull at the heartstrings. It does tell you a story about the person and what they've been through. But I think at times we do overdo it. And at times we do then make people into the very worst thing that's ever happened to them instead of painting a, a broader picture. I know that's tough to do in a short amount of time, but it does feel like too much. And in this case, obviously incredibly offensive. Yeah, I, I think to your point, there was so much. And sometimes you got to look at the scouts involved and think, why were you saying that on record? Especially when you're talking about a kid in Brisker that had such a great story on the field to talk about. And I wonder sometimes why that doesn't pop out more to everybody. Like there's sort of a stick to football moment of this. And, you know, I go back to our pre-draft analysis on Brisker that talked about how many snaps he took where and his versatility. Those are great things for scouts to talk about when you minimize something down to this cultural aspect of it. Like I got to look at it and say, why are you even going there? And, and to Mina's point, if you are going there so openly on the record, my God, like how much more work needs to be done to change the way that we're talking about players beforehand. I always think to Mike Golick Jr. saying years ago that he was coached before the draft, that when he was asked what other interests he had outside of football, the answer to that was supposed to be nothing because any answer would give a team a reason to decide mm -hmm. that that person didn't love football enough. You think about I mean, how, how jacked that process is and now you apply it to a situation like this, it makes no sense to me. It's, it reminds me of the, the, the thing that comes up with, this guy's too smart. We don't like him. He's too smart. He's, he's going to get sick of football or he's not going to care about it enough. I've always hated that um, criticism. And, um, yeah, there's some, there's some things that have been going on forever that need to change. And, obviously, the way that these teams interact with a lot of the players is one of them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, you never want someone to lose their job, but certainly it sounds like that scout – um, is in need of uh, uh, revising his approach and certainly his public-facing duties for the team. Uh, I mentioned, and we talked a little bit earlier about the Warriors-Grizzlies game one. Uh, people have done this Draymond ejection to death, and I think almost everyone I've heard agrees that it was not a flagrant two, um, that certainly a flagrant one would have been appropriate. But more importantly to me is that they managed to win without him. And this was a very close game. We have seen Ja make the very shot he missed due to some good defense by, by Clay at the end there earlier in that game. And that very easily could have gone in and we'd be having a different discussion. So I'm not going to use this game to say, okay, this series is over. I will simply say that if the Grizzlies have a better game and, you know, Draymond is, is out again or just it doesn't add much, uh, this could be a very close series. I think what really hits me about the Grizzlies' entire playoff journey has been the fact that every game has been such a reset for them. And I don't know if that's because they're young or if that's because they're having so much fun together 
whatever it is, it, there were so many opportunities for them to fold against the Timberwolves. And in fact, it ended up being Minnesota that folded, I thought, to, to, to Memphis over and over again. Now, is that a credit to Memphis's ability to press the turbo button and get things done? Like they had opportunities to win this game. And, you know, if anything, if there is some level of man, we're playing the Warriors in the playoffs, we really got to bring it. Uh, the the Grizzlies had some inconsistencies that I think they'll be able to fix in the rest throughout the rest of the series. They got beat up on the boards pretty bad too. Like I'll mm-hmm. be curious to see for Memphis if this little blip where they had a winnable game and lost it actually serves to create confidence for a young team that just doesn't seem to be bothered by anything. That's the variable you can't predict is is youth and sort of reset from game to game to game. And right now Memphis has that in drove. So I don't know how you stop that. I, I still yeah, like Memphis. It's, oh, so you've got them in the series. Yeah, I think Memphis oh, wins I don't. So I think what the offset to youth and uh, not really knowing what to expect is experience. And I thought the way that Golden State handled Draymond being gone and the 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 last couple minutes and seconds of that game, Clay could have shut down after the two missed free throws. They could have absolutely fallen apart with Draymond out. This this roster has 670 combined games of playoff experience. Memphis has 198. And the most of that is Steven Adams, who didn't play much in the first round. I think he'll see more time with this matchup. But this is a very young team that, to your point, might have a short memory. But also, as this series goes on, I could see one of two things. It could be that the Grizzlies, as they get more and more experience, get calmer and cooler and execute better. Or they find themselves outmatched by a team that's been here before and continues to do the right things to take them out of games. Yeah, to me, what's going to happen or what could happen through this is Memphis takes an opportunity where they had a fired up uh, they had a fired up Warriors team that was bringing everything they could in the second half because they were angry about the ejection. Memphis seemed to handle that pretty well. Came down to a last second shot that I think John makes more often than he misses that he could have made to win this game. And to your point with with Adams, he is going to get a bigger role. And I just wonder if Memphis, with the way that they attack the basket in general, will have the ability to continue to wear down the Warriors and also put the Warriors in a bad spot in foul trouble, depending on the way the refs are calling each game. So I, I still think Memphis has a ton of advantages. I put money on them, in fact. That's how confident I am. Oh, I see what we're doing here. Now you are your wallet is talking because you are terrified of the money you're going to lose when you're wrong. It's made fits. Did the Celtics meet their match in facing Giannis and the Bucks? We'll examine that series next. It's made fits. There's some real drama on the internets. Everybody is identifying the fish from the naked gun as Jared Leto. It is not, in fact, Jared Leto. And yet no one has seemed to get that news report to the big uh, uh, journals and newspapers and television stations that are continued to identify the naked gun fish as Jared Leto. This is the most important news of the day, fish, clearly. I, fish? I, uh, I yeah, called fish, you fish. fish it's fine. That's I fine. called you fish instead of fits. That is. I'm a fish <laughs> out of water when it comes to the Met Gala. Like, I'm reminded <laughs> that I have no sense of fa- Like, I don't belong anywhere near somebody that, like, uh, just give me black jeans, a black shirt, and a pair of neon shoes, and that's all I ever oh, wear. Boy. Like, I don't belong anywhere near any um, of these people. I don't belong near a mic unless we can get a supercut of me calling you things that are not your name. <laughs> I, it's been fits. It's been fritz. It's been fats. It's been other things uh, that I can't say on the air. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Spain and Fish. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Obviously, the big news, uh, NBA playoffs, uh, second round got underway yesterday. And boy, did the Celtics look undermanned in the middle. They only made 10 shots inside the arc. 
exactly what the Bucks were aiming for. Chris Forsberg, Celtics reporter for NBC Sports Boston, joins us now to talk about it. Chris, is that something that you think the, ch- the Celtics can just chalk up to an anomaly and say, listen, that's not going to happen again and move past game one? Or how much do they really dig down and look at what, the, what went wrong and, and need to build on it? Yeah, the one thing that's concerning is that I think we all do going into this series. This is what the Bucks do, right? They they have big bodies around the basket. Brooke Lopez, that last line of defense, Giannis flying around, and they challenge you to shoot three pointers. So uh, the Celtics maybe fell for the bait a little bit and, and and putting up 53 pointers. But when you look at the stats, and 45 of them by the NBA's tracking were were open or better. And so you know, is part of it just they miss shots, but I do think they have to find a better balance. Like, it was clear the Bucks were the more physical team in this game, and the Celtics have been deterred at times this season from attacking the basket when there's been rim protectors back there. And so, you know, they had so much success going at the hoop against a team like Brooklyn, who is just clearly not on the defensive level of a, of a Milwaukee Bucks team. But, yeah, 10 is just way too low for two-point field goals. They've got to be better at that. And so the challenge is for them to how can they get in their offense quicker? How can they make an extra pass, a second attack? Uh, Ime Adoka's uh, first real playoff challenge uh, is awaits here with game two. I mean, in fairness, Chris, we say they got to get more aggressive and in going inside, but can they really have success that way? Do they have the size to match up with what, what the Bucks are doing? Well, I think there's a couple ways to go about it, right? Like, Jason Tatum has to be aggressive to go to the basket. He has to get to the free throw line. You've got to get easy points that way. It's the playoffs. You can't just settle for, for outside perimeter shots. So, even if Tatum drive and, and gets a crowd, can he, can he kick it out? Can you find Robert Williams, you know, crashing behind uh, Brooke Lopez and throw a lob? Can you get Al Horford roll? And, like, and there's ways to do it without necessarily just kind of running into a, a pile of defenders. But I do think you need some sort of balance because if, if – if the Bucks are going to sit there and, and hey, okay, if you want to let Marcus Smart and Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard fire away, they're going to let you. And it, it, it's partly on those guys to, to make them pay, to, to make them chase shooters outside and loosen up that inside a little bit. Um, but, yeah, like I, I, the Celtics definitely have the personnel to, to be able to, to do work inside. Uh, they just got to be a little bit more dedicated to, to making it work. And, you know, you can't be fearful that Giannis is going to swat everything. And, and if you're if you're diligent and if you move the ball, there's ways to, to 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 beat up that back line. But certainly, they make it as tough as anybody when you're when you're going at the hoop. Chris Forsberg with us, Celtics reporter for NBC Sports Boston. I think Giannis's presence, Lopez, the interior for the Bucks, their strategy to prevent you from getting easy buckets inside is very clear. To what do you attribute the Bucks outscoring Boston in the fast break, twenty-eight to eight? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing is, like, the Celtics' turnovers were, were, were abysmal yesterday. Like, it, the one thing you got to do against the Bucks if you're not going to score consistently, if, you're, if your offense is going to grind to a halt sometimes because you can't get to the rim, you got to take care of the basketball. And Jalen Brown had seven turnovers. Uh, guys were just really sloppy at times. And if you do that, you, you let the Bucks get out and run, especially Giannis, and they're either going to Euro step his way to the rim or he's going to kick it to the corner for those three-point shooters on the, uh, you know, run into the corner. So uh, they got to be better in that. Um, some of it just comes down to, 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 again, transition. And I think we know when you play the Bucks, uh, that's how they, they can get, they just get out fast. And when you have those perimeter shooters, you just got to be a little bit better uh, in that regard. So uh, I thought that was the, sort of the key to the series coming in. Uh, the, the Bucks have sort of made the, the, their interior defense the, the focal point here earlier. Uh, but the Celtics got to just be better overall. I mean, it, it just all resolves back to 
you got to work harder. You, you got to value every possession, and they've done that. Like they, it's easy to look and say, "Oh, eighty-nine points." Their offense was probably as bad as it's been all season. But mm-hmm. uh, really, since calendar year twenty twenty-two, they've they've had one of the better offenses in the NBA. They've they've got to play more like that. You mentioned earlier the analytics and sort of the, the open shots that simply didn't fall. If everything runs the course to what you've seen so far, can the Bucks still win this series without Chris Middleton playing any sort of a real part? It's tougher for sure, but I mean, man, you know, it's so funny because the Celtics coming off that net series, they're, they've got all the momentum and all the confidence, a little bit of swagger. They got home court, no Middleton. I'm thinking maybe it won't take. I said Celtics in seven when we were doing our predictions. And, and then, you know, but you, you sit there and you can talk yourself into it being quicker. And just thinking Middleton loss is so huge because he just kills Boston when he plays them. But then you watch the Bucks now, and you're like, oh, yeah, like Giannis is, is a problem. And when you have the probably the best two-way player in the NBA and you won a title with this core, you you have your own little bit of swagger. So uh, I think maybe Boston people are, were a, a little bit uh, a little bit too confident about Boston's chances. I think Milwaukee has proven it. You know, it knows how to do this. And if Giannis plays like he did yesterday, he wasn't even efficient yeah. uh, scoring. And and he still put the triple double and thirty one assist points off those assists. Like that's a crazy number. So the Celtics got to be better in that regard of of not putting so much attention that the Grayson Allens of the world torch you from the outside. Third worst shooting night in Giannis's playoff career, and he still has a triple double and absolutely dominates the Oof. game. You can follow Chris Forsberg at Chris Forsberg underscore. He reports on the Celtics for NBC Sports Boston. Let's talk Marcus Smart. We've already been told he's likely to be questionable for game two. How important will those shoulder and quad injuries be in his availability and how the Celtics fare? Yeah, Marcus didn't look himself there in the second half, and it wasn't even the short. You know, you saw him kind of leave with that stinger, and and that went away pretty quick, but he he got hit twice, I think in the right quad or right thigh, and just wasn't moving right. And so when we talk about the Celtics not getting into their offense early and having trouble with with ball security, you know, you need that point guard out there. And uh, Marcus has has been really been a revelation as a point guard this year, kind of ratcheted down the the number of three-pointers he's putting up. Everyone would lament that. Uh, you know his his numbers sometimes, but really find the right balance of just facilitating, getting everybody involved, uh, being the guy that gets Jason and Jalen going at times. And so, uh, if he can't be out there, it, it it gets a lot more difficult, especially if the Bucks keep that pressure up. If Drew Holiday is going to hound you for 94 feet, you know now Derek White and Peyton Pritchard have to be that much better. So, uh, I think the, the 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 history with Marcus Smart says that. I mean, I remember probably uh back in 2018 he, he came back from a torn ligament in his thumb and ironically against the bucks and dove on the court like one minute into his first game in six weeks so i think he's going to be out there because i don't think a, a, a bruise is enough to keep marcus smart off the court but if he's if he's not himself then everybody else has to go up a little bit to, to for the Celtics to to kind of get back to the offensive team that they've shown you said chris real quick that you had taken them in seven going into the series now that you've had one game to cheat it keeping the same pick yeah, it's tough, right? Because you got to go to Milwaukee. At best, you're, you've lost home court advantage here. I think if the Celtics play the way they did over the final three months, I still like their chances again because of the Middleton absence. But um, you know they've dug themselves. It's it's weird that that game two already feels like a little bit of a must win for the Celtics. But you can't go to Milwaukee down 0-2. I think Milwaukee has put themselves in in the power position to to win this series, but uh, eager to see how just how quick Celtics can make adjustments and, and whether they can uh, at least make us think about, you know, one way or another, I feel like it's going seven. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm going to need the Celtics to at least make it look like real tough 
matchup so it doesn't uh, make the Bulls look just, uh, you know, pathetic. <laughs> uh, you know, like, wow. The, Imagine being the net, though. Uh, fair. Absolutely. Absolutely fair. <laughs> NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night as the Celtics host the Bucks, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Follow them at Chris Forsberg underscore. Thanks, Chris, for the time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, y'all. Take care. With so many football storylines, we got to run through some quickies next before we get back to the basketball. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Got some updates for you real quick for all you hockey fans out there. Toronto's up on Tampa Bay, one nothing, almost to the end of the first period. Boston, Carolina tied zip-zip in the second. And then the NBA action, obviously, everybody's paying attention to. Also, Miami up 43-34 right now on Philadelphia as we have about six and a half to go in the second uh, second there. So, uh, obviously, we expected there would be some success depending on uh, what it would look like without Joel Embiid. And so far early on, this is uh, not shocking to most people. Uh, Adebayo has 12 points and uh, plus 11 while he's on the court. So, Sarah, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a big shock to anybody that they're taking advantage of the mismatch created. Yeah, I, I would agree so far. Tobias Harris trying to hold it down for the Sixers with 10 points. Uh, James Harden has five and three assists. Yeah, we'll see how that game goes, and we'll keep you updated as it continues to progress. But in the meantime, there is so much action going on in the NFL that we figured we needed to break it down the way only this show can with a little bit of quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, as we get through some football quickies, we'll start with the big news in the NFL. Arizona Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins suspended six games for violating the PED policy. So, sir, this is a massive blow to the offense, despite the fact that they were able to trade for Hollywood Brown from the Ravens over the weekend uh, with the first round of the draft, I should say, uh, back on Thursday. This still is a huge step back for the offense that's going to rely on DeAndre Hopkins to be at their best in a year where there's a lot on the line for Cliff Kingsbury and, of course, for Kyler Murray. Yeah, uh, completely uh blindsided by this news absolutely did not see this coming obviously the cardinals did which explains the moves they made on draft day but this is huge and can you whether or not you feel like kyler murray is responsible for his own uh, failures down the stretch or whether you don't think the team has been quite good enough this ain't gonna help Fitz in terms of them feeling like they need to turn a corner and start having some serious playoff results to show for all the work Um, and it's certainly going to make things a whole lot tougher on kyler Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as much as we give a lot of praise for them picking up, obviously, in the first round, uh, Hollywood Brown, there were also some uh, interesting draft picks for them along the way, too. So I'm not sure exactly what they're doing in Arizona, but uh, they hope to get it figured out in a wide open West. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. And we uh, we all had our eyes on the tanking allegations. It's one of the Bigger stories that's not going to go anywhere in the NFL, obviously, as we continue to get more information on it. But the NFL has completed their independent investigation into the allegations by former Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson that there was incentivization, we'll use that as the word, for losing. Uh, And according to the independent investigator, they found, quote, no evidence, end quote, to substantiate those allegations so the independent investigator looked through all of it and quote determined none of the allegations could be sustained it should also be noted that in their statement while they thanked the independent arbitrator uh, investigator i should say they also 
made it clear that while initially Hugh Jackson agreed to be uh, helpful in this process, he was not in the end and would not work with the league. So they verified everything as much as they could through text and other means, but Hugh Jackson did not actually help in any way. Yeah, Fitz, I mean, the independent investigator was uh, the head of that review was former Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Mary Jo White. You you want to presume it is indeed in, independent and you, wanna pre- you, you don't want to guess at why uh, Hugh Jackson didn't uh, end up wanting to speak to them and cooperate. Uh, but, man, when you talk about investigations against the NFL in this case, uh, it makes it very difficult to believe that you could be, I don't know, completely certain that they're actually looking for the things that would make them look bad. And uh, you have to wonder exactly what's going to go on with the Brian Flores investigation and other Stephen Ross, like all the different things that have the NFL being found in the wrong if the investigation goes that way. It's hard to trust. Yeah, well, and I would hope that they're being transparent only because this isn't gonna, these things don't go anywhere. And if later we find out that they buried even more, mm-hmm. that's only more egg on the face of the league. Although that never really stops anybody in the league right. from continuing to lie until they're caught. That's just part of the way I guess it works. Spain and Fitz getting you caught up on a bunch of different stories with some quickies. We go next to some quickie action for the New Orleans Saints. One of the biggest names left in free agency across the NFL was Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and uh, he is no longer out on the open market. According to reports, he has agreed to a three-year, $33 million contract. This is Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL Insider, earlier on NFL Live about the deal. The deal is now in place. It's going to be a three-year, $33 million contract for Tyron Matthew, including $18 million guaranteed. He will be returning home to New Orleans, where he was born, where he was raised. The Saints did not get a safety on draft weekend, and so they turned their attention to the Honey Badger. And the Honey Badger will only be too happy to sign that three-year deal. Now, they're still going over the language, and they still have to finalize the deal. But the agreement is in place. Three years, $33 million, $18 million guaranteed. Honey Badger is going to be a saint. Uh, is he related to Walter Matthau? <laughs> uh, um, I mean, he poor guy. You know, it, it's Tyron. It's not Tyran. It's not Tyran. It's Tyron. Matthew, not Matthau. Uh, either way, it's good that he found a home. This is a really talented guy. Um, and so uh, big news for the Saints to be able to pick him up. And a uh, hometown guy, uh, which he's going to love, I'm guessing. Three years, $33 million feels like a really good deal for him, too. And, uh, you know, honestly, a second wave of free agencies coming anyway is the way cuts work. So many teams are going to have money clear off their books at the beginning of June. So some of these players that are still out there can still get paid doing it. And by the way, Sarah, you can call me whatever you want if there's three million thirty or three year thirty three million attached uh, to it. Like clearly, you you can make up whatever name you want for me. You can call me Jason Fish for the rest of my life. Like I'll get <laughs> I'll get that tattooed on me if we're talking right. three years thirty three right. million. So you know I don't care if you call him Walter at this point. Just get him that bag. One more for you, quickies. Got to give uh, love to a sport that you know oh so well. Uh, I, I had the opportunity yesterday to travel down to Nashville and be a part of the opening of the new stadium uh, for the Nashville Soccer Club. The MLS team in Nashville that uh, came to fruition a few years ago has been sharing facilities with the minor league baseball team and with the Titans and has not had a home of their own. So Geodis Park opened up yesterday. They asked me to come in, play the national anthem, Sarah, and it was not only an amazing opportunity to be a part of this, but it was cool for me. I was at the first ever Titans game in Nashville. I was at the first ever Preds game at Bridgestone, and now I can say it was at the first ever Nashville SC game 
in their new home, and it is gorgeous. I'll tell you, I walked into it not knowing anything about soccer. We all know that. We don't cover it a lot. It's not a sport that I, I even really have to have my eyes on. And I walked away from one live match saying, my God, like this is electrifying. I've said for years, if you can go to a hockey game, go, because it'll make you a fan. I walked away thinking the same thing about MLS mm-hmm. and this experience. It was incredible. I see how you very deftly went from NFL football quickies to football yeah, same thing. I'm a, I'm a football guy now. I'm a football um, if you haven't now. seen it, Fitz retweeted uh, his buddy uh, who posted a video of him performing the anthem. Very cool scene. Very cool moment for you. Uh, at Buck Rising is the one who posted the video. And I'm happy that the selection of Jersey fit. Um, oh, yeah. It was long. It was long on you. Uh, yeah. But the large was a nice fit around the old uh, the old torso. Yeah, I felt good. You know, I felt like I felt like it went the right size. I was a little worried. I was afraid that the jersey was a little thin. So as hot as it was, I was afraid it was going to start like, you know, catching all the wrong spots. And before you know it, it looked right. like I'm wearing like neon yellow cling wrap and nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you have any, I, I don't know if you're a hairy man under there fits, but you never want to see through yellow with a hint of hair underneath. No, 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 no. I'm all good on that. Like some manscaping company needs to call me because I basically bathe in that stuff. All right. Now that I've made everybody uncomfortable, the NHL playoffs are officially underway. We'll make you more comfortable covering that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And it's that time of year again. Uh, the time of year when Greg Wyshynski does our homework for us. Uh, if we have been ignoring hockey, I don't know, because our team is trash on the ice, off the ice. Not particularly my team, the Blackhawks. I was just throwing that out there. But in case we've been ignoring hockey or we just need a primer before the playoffs begin, he's our man, ESPN and NHL senior writer. Greg, let's just start with the obvious. What's the first round series that's a much must watch, even for fans who might uh, be waiting for later rounds? Oh, man, it is definitely the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, you know, to me, a perfect Stanley Cup playoff series is one that's got incredible action and intensity on the ice and then some soap opera aspects yes. off the ice. And what we're looking at here is a Toronto Maple Leafs team that has Austin Matthews, a megastar, hitting 60 goals for the first time, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, a lot of superstars in that team. Same thing goes with Tampa. Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, last seen shirtless chugging beers at a a post-cup press conference last year. Uh, They're a star-studded team. You have the Leafs, who are trying to win their first playoff series since 2004 and trying to win their first Stanley Cup since 1967. They're the Chicago Cubs of hockey. And then you got the Tampa Bay Lightning that are in a completely different situation where they're trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup championship, becoming the first team since the early 80s New York Islanders to do so. So you got action on the ice and you got a whole lot of drama off the ice as far as the stakes in the series. So, Greg, if you like this point, I'm just going to be a front runner, right? Like the, the Golden Knights were eliminated uh, while I was in Vegas, uh-huh. which was, you know, I, I, this was the year that I was like, you know what? I'm going to transition from the Preds to Golden Knights. We see how that went. I'm a curse. So I just want to be a front runner and I want to root just adamantly for the team that's going to win it all. Who am I rooting for? So you got two teams that I think are the front runner teams. You have the Colorado Avalanche, who have been bubbling under the surface for a few years now. Uh, incredibly talented team, great offensive team led by Nathan McKinnon, one of the true star players in this league, and Kale McCarr, a young defenseman who can make a crowd gasp just by skating around on the blue line during a power play. And then you have the Florida Panthers. The Panthers are a real interesting story. Now, uh, as Sarah knows, 
they had to get rid of their coach. Uh, Joel Quenville mm-hmm. resigned very early in the season due to that Chicago Blackhawks scandal. Uh, a guy named Andrew Brunette, who didn't even really want to be a head coach in this league, a former player, took over the team, and they became the single most successful team in, in Panthers franchise history and the highest-scoring team in the NHL since the 1995-96 season. So those two teams, to me, are your front-runner teams, both incredibly offensive, goal-scoring teams with a lot of personality on the Panthers' side. I talked about this on Around the Horn today and said my heart was telling me to choose the Panthers as my favorite instead of the Avs because of Joe Thornton, 42 years old, had an incredible career with the Sharks, with the Bruins, like such a nice guy who I've gotten to know and has never won at all. So if he did it with the Panthers, um, what an odd, strange place to do it, but it'd be cool. It'd be real cool. He's kind of been his like hired gun sort of uh, end of his career. You know, he was in the Leafs for a little bit and now he's on the Panthers. Everybody just wants to see him win the cup just so we can see him dip that glorious beard in the, in the <laughs> beer bowl on top of the cup. But they've got a few guys like that. Keep in mind also the Panthers made the biggest trade at the trade deadline that when they acquired uh, Claude Giroux, the captain mm-hmm. of the Philadelphia Flyers, who also has never won the Stanley Cup to join their team. Like I said, you know, they're a team with some, some bright stars that are homegrown in their prime. Jonathan Huberto, uh, Sasha Barkoff, uh, Aaron Ekblad. And then they've got some guys with, uh, you know, big names and big personalities that are looking for their first cup, like Joe Thornton and, and Claude Giroux. Really fascinating team, and, and one that I think if they can, if they're allowed to play like they played in the regular season, and there's no guarantees because the playoffs can get kind of defensive and, and you know, tightly played, uh, they're going to be one of the more fun teams to watch, I think, for the next few rounds. Fitz, by the way, if you want to see Joe Thornton's beard in its best moment, uh, he got some extensions for the ESPN body issue. Uh, Give that a look. Uh, I mean, the only extra uh, thing he had on that day. I was was going to say, like, like, I'm looking at his facial hair. Good guy. All right. uh, We're talking to ESPN (laughs) NHL senior writer Greg Wyshynski. So we all know, Greg, and like I lived this when I was covering the Preds in Nashville, like one hot goalie makes all the difference and suddenly a team that wasn't great can go on an incredible run. Who's the goalie that could send an unexpected team on a run this year? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, there's a couple of teams that uh, I think would love to have that happen. Uh, Unfortunately, their goalies got hurt. One, the Predators had UC Soros, who unfortunately uh, is going to miss the beginning of their series against the Colorado Avalanche. There's still some hope maybe he can come back, but he would be the guy if he was ever to be able to come back to these playoffs, that you'd say, yeah, he could carry the load for his team and maybe pull a huge upset over the Colorado Avalanche. Other than that, you know, the NHL has kind of become a place where it's, it's, it's a lot of goalies that are kind of platooning. I mean, you know, even a, a team like the Minnesota Wild, for example, that made a big splash in acquiring Marc-Andre Fleury at the trade deadline from the Blackhawks, uh, there's a chance we might see him and Cam Talbot in their series against the Blues. Um, you know, there, there's a few guys that are, that are stalwarts, you know, you're, Vasilevsky or your uh, Jacob Markstrom with the Calgary Flames. So for the most part, uh, teams like to throw a number of different goaltending options at you. That's uh, kind of the hallmark of the 2022 NHL. Sarah, real quick, I got to tell you this this quick. When I was uh, covering the Preds, we did this big charity bowling night, right? And so obviously (laughs) UC was like he was brand new to the team. And he was walking around introducing himself to all these season ticket holders. Somebody walked up to me and said, whose kid is that? That's how small UC was oh, wow. compared to everybody. Whose wow. kid is that? And it's like, that's, that's not a That's, that's not the a second dude, best Predator dude, he, story I know. He, and the, the best was when I went there for a playoff game against the Blackhawks, and they had to hand out a piece of paper explaining the rules of hockey to Predators fans. <laughs> that's true. I went to the first ever well, Preds game, and right after there was icing, <laughs> came up on the Jumbotron at the first game, right? And they, they're like, icing. 
What is icing? The, the city's <laughs> come a long way from that. It has. It has. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I was going to say I got you both beat. I mean, uh, you know, one of my career highlights was uh, getting to kiss a catfish on the mouth uh, oh, at a National go. Predators playoff game. So, you know, there you you, 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 you really take it as it comes down there. Uh, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN NHL senior writer, is with us. You can follow him at Wyshynski. You figure out how to spell it on Twitter. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz. Uh, such a stark difference between the East and the West. Will it have any effect on how those teams fare in the postseason, or is it just happenstance that the non-playoff teams were this massive cliff on one side and not the other? Yeah, I mean, it's always a, an interesting call uh, as to what the last few weeks of the season mean for a team. I mean, we've had situations – in the past where like, say for example, the Tampa Bay lightning were on cruise control for like a month and a half, one season, and then got upset in the first round by the Columbus blue jackets. And the entire Eastern conference has basically been set for multiple months. Then you look over in the West and you have teams like the LA Kings, the Dallas stars, the national predators that have all been playing playoff games basically for the last two and a half weeks as they've been scrambling to get ahead and, and, and keep the Vegas gold Knights, for example, out. So I look at that series between the L.A. Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, for example, and I wonder, okay, you know, the Kings won all the games they needed to win down the stretch. It was really impressive. As all these other teams were scrambling around, the Kings were putting up Ws. How does that translate into this first-round series against an Edmonton team that, that kind of had things wrapped up at the beginning of the month? Greg, there's a lot of new media partnerships involved in all of this, and I think what a lot of hockey fans want is growth of the game. As we go into this Stanley Cup playoff, how do you think the media coverage in general will, will impact the future of the NHL? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, having it obviously on the ESPN networks has been uh, huge, uh, you know, and, and I know everybody knows that within the company that the, the spotlight during the playoffs is going to be as intense as ever. And the chance for us to elevate and the chance for Turner to elevate uh, star players like Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and, and others that are in this tournament, is just it's just going to be a wonderful moment for the sport. But also just like – how cool is it to have a couple of different places covering the game in different ways and a variety of coverage and, you know, putting on promos during different programming on, on a few different networks. Like all of it adds up to it being a wonderful moment for the NHL on top of everything else. I mean, it's, it was the highest scoring season in the league since 1995, 96. There's a lot of reasons for it, but the bottom line is that, um, you know, if people are catching the NHL, they're catching it at a time where there's great young star players. It's on a lot of big networks. And finally, there's some offense. It ain't necessarily going to be a bunch of 2-1 games in the playoffs. So they're catching it at the right time. Greg Wyshynski, last question, quick response. Grade for the Kraken in their first season, beyond the grade for uniforms and logo, which is A++++++. I give them a C-. Minus. Uh, they, I think, the, you know, the curve, obviously, is that the, uh, the Golden Knights, you know, made the cup final in their first year. But, you know, that. They put together an okay team. Uh, they didn't get very good goaltending at all, which I think is a mistake of their own making. You might have signed the wrong guy. Uh, but the good news is they'll get a bit of a do-over. I think they do have to do something in this offseason to re-engenerize re uh, re that fan base a little bit. Re-energize or regenerate? Re-energize, there it is. Yeah. Uh, because I think I feel like uh, I feel like they might have gotten a little bit upset and a little bit uh, disappointed in, in the team not being as competitive as, uh, as uh, they expected. Yeah, the Golden Knights set an unfair standard, that's for sure. Hey, Greg, we look forward to talking to you again during this postseason and not waiting till the first day of the playoffs next season to talk to you. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. Uh, Fitz, uh, I assume you'll be find yourself on some sort of bandwagon by the end of this playoffs. You always do. Uh, with the... uh, well, 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 there's no bandwagoning for me. I'm a, I'm a Golden Knights and Preds fan, so I still got the Preds. Okay. 
Second We're officially halftime of the Heat Sixers game. <laughs> Score might come as a bit of a surprise. We'll fill you in on that next, and we'll let you know if Fitz changes teams during the break. It's Spain wow. and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on oh, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady. It really is. I mean, there's just it's it's an all timer. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. In short, a lot of things bundled today at Progressive.com. Want to get you caught up on a couple of scoring updates across the sports world. A couple of uh, NHL updates as the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway. We do have Toronto up one nothing on Tampa Bay and. Uh, Carolina has scored a couple of quick goals, uh, two goals in less than two minutes against Boston. So they are now up 2-0 in that one. We'll keep you updated on the Stanley Cup playoff action, of course. And the NBA action, everybody's got their eyes on tonight. Philly is up at the half. That is not for once a misspeak. Philly is up 51-50 over Miami at the end of the first half. And that is the game, as everybody knows, without Joel Embiid at this point. Uh, he will miss at least games one and two as he is in concussion protocol and got to figure out what's going on with an orbital fracture. So uh, we don't know when or if he'll be available in this series, but it's come from a little bit of balance at this point where they've gotten scoring from sort of a little a little mix of everywhere. Harden with 12, Maxi with 10, uh, Tobias Harris with 14. Uh, on the other side of it, Bam Adebayo, not un- unsurprisingly, 12 at the half. Uh, Butler with 11 at the half. So this is a one-point game with Philly up at the half. I'm, I'm surprised, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's – it's. I mean, to me this is going to be about balance for the 76ers. And, of course, we're going to put it on Harden. We're going to want to see what he can do. But in the end – I don't believe that Harden going iso ball and trying to recreate the past is the answer, but I do think he needs to be a compelling scorer. I think Maxi can go off. I think Tobias Harris can get his, but James Harden can't simply facilitate and then hope Tybal and those guys basically become explosive scorers feeding off of his assists. It needs to be good, smart, well-executed basketball to the game plan so that nobody needs to play an outsized role. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now in this game. Uh, the question is, can the Miami Heat, who, by the way, we really haven't mentioned are without Kyle Lowry, um, can they, you know, be the team that we saw during the regular season that I think is is better than the Sixers and should be able to win with Joel Embiid out? Yeah, this is the sort of moment that there does. The, the pressure flips a little bit to Miami because, to your point, they are the better team and have played better all year. And, I feel like I've spent the last three weeks screaming, why aren't we paying more attention to the Heat? So let's see how this game settles out before any overreaction comes from it. But certainly, if Philly is able to steal either game without Joel Embiid, it will change the way everybody in Philly feels about this series in its entirety. Like, that, this is just, at that point, that would be a level of thievery none of us would have expected. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Speaking of things we can't expect, like, I have no idea. I need your help on this, Sarah, because, like, I... I'm called a lot of things. Rarely am I called fashionable. Uh, I'm trying to keep <laughs> up with what's happening here with the Met Gala and all of these outfits being worn. I don't get any of it. I can't even tell you what's good or bad. Like, how do you look at something somebody's wearing at the Met and decide if it's – I can look at a, at, a, at a uniform and decide if I hate it. I can't look at a dress and have any idea what I'm supposed to be looking at when they're all weird and wild to me. Did you ever see uh, – um, gosh, now I'm, I'm blanking. You know, the one with Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway? 
Oh, the Devil Wears Prada? Devil Wears Prada. Did you ever see that? Uh, Bits and pieces. I think the the message that emerged was, of course, the bigger one is, you know, don't sacrifice your life and who you are for a job. Don't become something different because of what a job asks of you. But it also sort of gave us that message of whatever, like, dumb sweater you're buying from The Gap is the result of the trickle down of extremely high fashion decisions about color and fit and texture and and fabric so when we're watching we're not supposed to know fits this is for the experts and in fact we could say that person looks dumb as hell and then later they'll be like the big winner of the met gala was this man dressed like a fish right like we're not supposed to know now some people will just look really nice and not over the top and we'll be able to say i like that dress that's pretty and then some people you'll be like that person's hat has a remote control on it to open up the fringe in front when he wants to be seen and close it when you don't want to see his face. Like, we're not <laughs> going to know. That, shout out Billy Porter. That was an iconic moment at the Met Gala. Um, this year, nobody seems to understand the theme, which is the Gilded Age. United States history from about 1870 to 1900, a time of rapid Nerds. economic growth. And... Uh, influx of millions of European immigrants to the United States. Um, what that means in terms of fashion, no one seems to know, uh, except for the folks that just decided to gild themselves with metallics, which I think is a very uh, clear, literal way to take it and might be the best because people, someone on E was like, I can't wait to see a Bridgerton moment. That's England, lady. Like, that's not even the same country and not the same time. So, uh I think people are really freewheeling it this year, and so you are even less expected to understand what's going on, Fitz. That makes me feel a little bit better that I'm less expected. I also think it's crazy how much all that stuff costs and, like, how tough it is to get in. I mean, I I have been with artists at their peak that have been like, I want an invite to the Met Gala, and let me tell you, like, that that, that just doesn't happen. Like, it doesn't – it takes a small army of very connected people to even get you Mm -hmm. on that list. So then this small army of very connected people gets you on a super exclusive list where a designer is going to make something that looks really weird to me, and then you're (laughs) going to walk out and rock it with some level of like, yeah, that's right, I look weird, and this costs a lot of money. I don't know what that level of self-confidence feels like. I I, I just – I have no idea, but again, I'm a guy that wears like black on black on black with some neon sneakers and feels like I'm really cutting edge, so <laughs> the hell do I know in this process? I, I, It's wild to me that everybody wants to get together and do it, but it is it is a cultural phenomenon. That's oh, a, I mean, the people the watching alone to. would be incredible. You know, I have talked about how back in my L.A. days, I went to six or seven parties at the Playboy Mansion, and it was about the scene. It's like, who's here what are they wearing or not wearing in the case of the Playboy Mansion? Um, and it was just being a part of something um, that was it, it, unique, special, difficult to get an invite for, and where everywhere around you are just fascinating people. Um, and I think it'd probably be pretty pretentious and potentially annoying because people take themselves way too seriously at this thing, but it also would be so fun to get invited. I just I don't know what theme I would want. I think I would want one... A little more direct. And I understand that they don't always make it direct. Oftentimes it's left sort of up for interpretation, which is why people look so different at each one. But if there was a theme that you would be able to rock, what would it be? Uh, You know what theme I want? I want the, like, Amadeus theme. Like Ooh. the Mozart era with the big wigs and the powdery faces. and like, a the great super, movie like, that yeah, was. Uh, yeah. I mean, that like, let me, let me dress up like Amadeus. And have a really annoying laugh. I've already got the annoying laugh. All I need now is Amadeus. <laughs> and like, and then we're going to be really good with that. I, I feel like that is right in my wheelhouse. What about you? 
So you want like Austria circa Amadeus times. You yeah. want a powdered wig. You want uh, a really a, tall powdered wig, like some a, sort of like, brocade jacket with tails. Yeah, a broco jacket. Yep, uh, brocade. And a super brocade yeah, bro- jacket. Ruffles, like, ruffled, uh, ruffled shirt. Oh yeah, super ruffled shirt, and then really, really short pants, like with the with the like the knicker sort of thing with the long socks, and tiny shoes. Oh yeah, this is the look I could rock every day. Maybe. Mm. I, like, yeah. See, I'm I'm always down for a costume uh, show and a costume party. Um, but with this, there's an expectation of it being a bit more serious. First of all, I'm gonna put this up on Twitter at Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz, uh, and see what you think you could pull up. I, I like the idea of punk. I think punk would be really cool and wild and how you can combine that with couture. I think also something like just like flowers, some sort of floral where you could become a full flower would be really fun. Oh, that's a nifty idea. You'd be big. Like I could be a big tulip. I don't know. All right. You guys can tweet us and chime in. In the meantime, we'll head to Phoenix and get you set for Suns Mavs. Bonus Spain and Fitz coming up next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You don't need to adjust your dial. What you're hearing is, is real. It's natural. It's happening. It's bonus time. You're getting overtime, Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And you're getting that because we are taking you all the way up to Suns Mavericks Game 1, which you can hear right after us. Pre-game starts at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. I will say, Sarah, that's been one of the weirdest things about the last couple of weeks after spending a few weeks on the West Coast and realizing late NBA tip-offs are really, mm-hmm. you know, like pre-dinner time and now getting back to the East Coast, that is wildly different. I, I, I think the West Coast baby in me much prefers these uh, early tip-offs. I'm just saying. Uh, we know that P.J. Carlissimo is unaffected by any time zone and any tip-off time. He's part of the broadcast on ESPN Radio, ESPN NBA analyst coach. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you coming on. This is obviously a huge game tonight. But my, my mind goes straight to Devin Booker because everything seems to be about his injury. So what's the latest there and what should we expect? Well, Fitz, I'm watching him shoot right now. He just uh, missed. Take him out. Um, he, he looks <laughs> fine. He was uh, working with their uh, strength people and exercising. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, I, I think he's, you know, he was able to play in six. I don't think he played, you know, I don't think he moved the way he moves all year, but um, we'll find out. That's what it's about, and the games are going to come quick uh, in this series, so it, it'll it'll be interesting. Um, these teams that you know, it's like most of the series. You know, it used to be playoffs. You'd get ready. You'd look at the four games they played. You'd watch the tapes. You'd look at the stats. It's a, it's almost a waste of time with so many rosters so different. So many guys have been hurt all year, and this series is a perfect example. They, they played three games. Uh, Chris Stapps, Porzingis played in all three of them. Luca missed. Two of them. I mean, like they, these weren't the same teams. We actually had Kesty uh, Jamadani and I actually had uh, the game in Dallas. I think it was back in January. But the teams are so different. So uh, we're anxious to see them. Uh, you know, see how they play. See see what they're going to do. Uh, Dallas took so many threes in that last series. It was incredible. I mean, they were getting up over 40 threes a game. I, I, I don't know whether they'll do that um, against. Uh, Phoenix, I don't think they'll want to go up and down that much against them. So uh, it's going to be interesting just to watch the way the two teams play. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what uh, Devin looks like. I think Luka looked more, when he came back, looked more like Luka. Um, I, I think he's further along. I don't I don't think he's 100%, but he's ready to go. Devin, we're going to see uh, what he's got. And 
I, I'm looking forward to watching CP. We didn't have any of that series. Uh, we were mostly east with uh, Brooklyn and, and uh, Boston, and then we, we caught uh, Golden State yesterday, which was great. Chris Paul can't play any better than he just played in that last uh, last series, so I'm dying to watch him in person. Yeah, incredible stuff from Chris Paul in a couple of those games, picking up the slack when Booker wasn't 100%. You mentioned Luka. How do you see the Mikhail Bridges-Luka Doncic matchup? Well, Mikhail Bridges is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, but I don't think you really stop Luka because of the size and the strength. I mean, he's got so many different ways to go at people. Uh, you know, the coach's cliche or the broadcaster's cliche is, Great players, all you can make them do is work hard, and, I, and Mikhail will certainly do that. Um, but uh, Luke is just, uh, he's so strong. He reminds me of LeBron in a lot of ways because of the strength. He can get wherever he wants to get, and he just puts somebody like on his hip or on his side and just, you know, he takes him wherever he wants to go. Uh, he's big enough to shoot over people. He'll, you know, lean back and uh, take the shot, you know, even in traffic. He forces up some shots, but he makes some of those shots that he forces up, and he's such a great passer. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be more about the team and about the other uh, other people. I really do. I, You know, when it comes to playoff time, those guys are going to step up. The great players are going to step up. Uh, it, it's going to be a question of, I hate to use the word complimentary players or the, the other players because it, playoffs reminds me so much of college. You, you have a couple days to get ready for a team. You have adjustments from game to game. I mean, it's so much like what you go through in a normal college season. You don't have as much of that in the NBA in the regular season. And some of these guys who have benefited from that all year because – you don't have the depth of the scouting report. You don't have a couple practices to get ready. All of a sudden, they know, the defenders know every habit that these players have, and they're going to take away the first options. Sometimes they're going to take away the second options. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you get a lot of guys running to dead ends in the playoffs. And uh, whichever from that group, not, not the elite guys, not the top two or three on every team, I, I think whoever from that other group of players steps up that'll go a lot further toward deciding this series than even Devin or uh, Luca or CP you know any of the great players I expect those guys to play well I feel like last year PJ a lot of people learned this Suns roster and saw some of those guys step up but maybe they don't know the Mavericks as well who's somebody that you look at from Dallas and you think this person really has to step up in this series for the Mavericks to win well, Maxi Kleber's got to make his threes. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is one that comes to mind. I, I no longer put um, Brunson in that category. Uh, Brunson's proven to me, and I think he's proven to the league, what he's capable of doing. He, he's going to be fine. Um, but, you know, a, a Bullock, uh, you know, on, on a given night, a Davis Bertans, their threes are going to be, I think, really important because uh, Dallas is an excellent. They're one of the best maybe four or five defensive teams in the league. There's no question about that. They play at a good pace. They do not turn the ball over. I mean, there are single-digit turnovers in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so, you know, if they can control the pace, uh, they're, they're going to be in the game, I think. N not turning it over is big, but they need threes. Phoenix is going to score, and Dallas is uh, sometimes really struggles to score, and I think they're going to need to get make threes, they're gonna. T I, they won't take as many. I don't think as 
they did last series, but they need to make some threes, and they need to find some of those so-called easy points, which is usually not their forte. If you look at their numbers, second-chance points, points off turnovers, uh, fast-break points, uh, that's not their forte. Um, so I, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on their three-point shooting, and that to me means a lot of those guys I'm calling complimentary players. I wish I could come up with a better term. It <laughs> sounds like you're dissing the those other guys. guys. They're, they're, the other guys. They're better, <laughs> they're better than that, or they wouldn't be playing That's right. in this league, and they certainly wouldn't be playing in uh, April, May, and June. But uh, those guys got to make shots. I, I really think um, they need to make their threes. If they make their threes, then I think it's going to be competitive. But uh, Phoenix has always been, to me, underrated defensively. Right. Um, if they're able to lock them up and really make it difficult for the Mavs to score, it, it's going to be tough. P.J. Carlissimo, ESPN NBA analyst, with us here on Spain and Fitz ahead of Suns-Mavs Game 1. Starts at 9.30 Eastern right after we're done here on ESPN Radio. P.J., we've seen the Suns, as long as Devin Booker gets back to 100% or close, what we saw in the regular season was start-to-finish domination. Where is the weakness? Where What can anyone take advantage of? Maybe on the boards. Maybe you can beat them up on the boards. Uh, you know, hurt them. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's not something that uh, Dallas does particularly well. They're capable of getting after it. But, um, you know, I, I think a really good rebound. You saw what New Orleans did to them on the glass. Um, you know, every series is different the way people play. Um, if, if, you can, if you can turn them over, but that, that's something they, you know, they're top ten in that too. They do a good job with that. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a weakness, but I think maybe you can beat them up inside, uh, get some second and third opportunities, and you're going to need it. Uh, you know, it's like playing Golden State. Uh, you need to put a lot of points on the board to win. I don't care how good you are defensively, all these other things you do well. You better start with, you know, being able to ring up 110 or something close to that uh, if you're going to beat these guys four out of seven. Um, and, and I think that I don't think it's a weakness, but if, if I, I would love to, uh, if I had to play Phoenix, I'd like to play them with a really good offensive rebounding team and just try and annihilate them on the boards. PJ, we always appreciate your time, especially right before a game. Know how busy it is, my friend. Thank you so much for the insight. All right, Fitz. Good talking with you, Sarah. Enjoy be game. good. You too. Uh, for sure. Guys, you guys can listen to all of that action right here. Pre-game starts at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight. The Suns host the Mavs, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. If you're just tuning in and you're thinking, what are these sultry voices you're hearing? It's extra Spain and Fitz. Get a little bonus time with us, and we got to get you caught up on the 76ers heat matchup. It's headed into the fourth quarter. We'll update you on how it's going and what it means next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Well, the Met Gala is going on. Well, the NBA playoffs are going on, news is flooding, social media. It always feels like the Met Gala fits is the moment that people point to for, like, you should care about more important things while simultaneously keeping an eye on what Lady Gaga wore. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, we get it. It's not a big deal, but Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson are there, right? So, of course, we have to address it. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get to basketball, but we did ask you, if you were to score an invite to the Met Gala, what theme would you crush? Because tonight it's Gilded Era. People seem very confused by that. 
I guess the most spot on are people who are just wearing metallics, silvers and golds in a gilded sense because they're not really sure what else you're supposed to wear. Uh, so we asked you what theme you would crush. Uh, we got a lot of folks saying pajamas, sweats, the uh, the cleverly termed pandemic nights. <laughs> which oh, is- I like that. A lot of people could could really do a j- good job of after the last couple of years. Uh, Angry Bears fan Dadman said, "I would rock the Adam Sandler theme, aka Dad who gave up years ago, uh, which is pretty good. <laughs> uh, the extra long shorts that go past your knees in a giant T-shirt." Um, someone else said, "Suburban Dad." Uh, S Lacy underscore introduced to me a new term that I love: uh, the grout fit, uh, which is an outfit that is all gray. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Groutfit is a like uh, Groutfit's one of those things I get yelled at all the time because I'm a gray on gray on gray or black on black on black. I yeah, right. Groutfit. Groutfit is part of uh, the lexicon I constantly hear. Yes. I like I like that term. I haven't heard it before. It's very Chris Cody on Levitard, who always likes to combine words together. Uh, groutfit is something I'm going to start using um, again. I think I'm just going to go with flower. I think I think I don't know what that means when I say that. I just think floral is a nice theme that everybody can find some sort of into. Yeah, I, I'm in for that. Like, I don't know, though, do I have to come, like, with my head in the middle of, like, some, like, am I wearing a big headpiece? Oh, gosh. Well, I got, you like, would wear, like, like, a sunflower where your your face is the middle of the sunflower. Or you'd be, like, uh, you know, one of those clowns that's got the little flower that squirts water out of the side. Oh, yeah. See, that now we're talking. <laughs> You've actually stumbled on the real theme that America wants, and that's a clown theme. Yeah, this is, this is your wheelhouse big, here? Yeah, oh, we, my God. We, if they did a the clown theme, how terrifying would some of the interpretations be? I mean, speak for yourself. Like, I think a clown, like, that would be remarkable. We would have the entire country would be almost as uncomfortable as they already are. Just we'd be more vocal about it. Like, right, we're right, already right. looking at all this, trying to figure out what anybody was thinking. But if you gave me, like, a clown motif, look at me using motif. If yeah, you gave me a clown well motif for this, then I, I feel like all of a sudden... I'm going to the Met. I may not get invited to the Met, but I'm going. Um, I, by the way, I would not be too proud of yourself because motif is is like a design, or okay. like a distinctive feature of something, or like a pattern on something. So yeah, theme I mean, is what you were looking for. Yeah, I mean, close, um, we're close enough. We're in the right ballpark. Like. Right, 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 right. It's more of a repeating thing that would help establish the larger theme. But I'm I'm proud of you. You were oh, still close. closer than when you said a bro code jacket instead yeah, of a which I thought I know. I, I do need to ask jacket. a question though, like bro code yeah. jacket. Like we're saying the yep. same thing, right? Like frog, yeah, frog sure. protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're saying the same thing. Uh, yep. Bradley Cooper showed up to the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- delightfully, I mean, the ever delicious Bradley Cooper showed Very up to handsome. the Met Gala, uh, wearing just a normal black suit with the white shirt. Basically, mm. uh, how do we feel about that? I think you know what you've got to do more than that. It's the it's the Met Gala. You can wear a normal suit to literally anything. It's not that normal, though. It has almost an Amish collar, uh, and it's got a no-button front and a dropped lapel a little bit. Um, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite look, uh, to be honest with you. I think you got to go big if you're going to go Met Gala. That's my opinion. It's, especially you got to be as, absurd. I mean, as dashingly good-looking as he is in The Hangover, like... I right. feel like, you know, if you looked better look like in the hangover than hair. you do with the yeah. Met Gala, then, like, you, you're, you're mailing it in. I don't think he really brushed his hair even. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, thank you for your submissions. Uh, we will let you know if any of those themes are chosen, particularly uh, the Adam <laughs> Sandler theme. 
because uh, I would like to see that. I really, I'd like to see America's hottest men in shorts below their knees and an oversized like Looney Tunes T-shirt. Um, oh, imagine like just for the women too that are going that now suddenly don't have to feel this incredible and awful pressure that they feel for all of these events where they have to be in the perfect right. gown, the perfect way. It's like, hey, we're going to oversized uh, shorts and some baggy shirts that might be stained. Like that's no, a they would of find freedom. a way. They would freedom. find a way to make it fair. weird. They would find a way to make it work. Kim Kardashian did a Marilyn Monroe happy birthday, Mr. President dress look tonight. Um, I have to say she is the best dressed of the Kardashians this evening. One of them is in a wedding gown. I don't know why. With a backwards ball cap with flowers on it to look like a wedding hat. Hmm. Um, And then apparently one of them got married to the Blink-182 guy, I think. And they're both wearing skirts, but hers doesn't fit right, and she has a half a shirt on. Anyway, that concludes our fashion expertise for the evening, and also our Kardashian expertise. I like to appreciate that we're uh, probably two of the few people in America who can't name which one is which and who's married to whom, because we just don't care. I take great pride in that. It's part of what makes this show unique in every possible way. That's right. Uh, We'll get back to basketball, because there is an important NBA game going on right now. Heat have opened up, uh, looks like an eight-point lead here uh, in the third quarter um, after the Sixers had the lead at half. James Harden, 12 at the half, now has 16, so four points total in the third so far. Bam, 20 points, nine rebounds for the Heat. And as I mentioned before, Fitz, I do feel like Bam, little chip on his shoulder from being left out of the Defensive Player of the Year nominations, and that team in particular can really get themselves whipped up into a lather about being disrespected this season heat culture yada yada. i mean you know there's any number of ways for them to sort of elevate uh the energy in this series if if it isn't enough yeah but i think like sometimes athletes and teams manufacture that and it makes me roll my eyes if i'm the heat or the suns frankly both of those teams have been overlooked for so much of the year and considering the things that they've accomplished in recent years like i'd be pretty mad so i think there is a little level of individually and as a team you can come in and say hey you have to pay attention to us at some point. The easiest way to do that if you're the Heat is you come out and you, you just absolutely dominate the 76ers. Now, I'm surprised that Philly's been able to make it this much of a matchup without Joel Embiid. And the closer this game is, the more I think there's a little bit of pressure on Miami that doesn't exist for Philadelphia because there aren't expectations in these first two games. But if I'm the Heat and I feel disrespected, I, I understand the path that got me there for sure. And I can't always say that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think that I got a little bit tired of everybody this season claiming that it was a vendetta, particularly against them, their city, or their team, right? It was Joel Embiid saying no one likes Philly. It was uh, Bam saying it was about people not paying attention to Miami, even though both Coach and Tyler Hero were nominated for other awards. Um, uh, It was, I think... Jokic was in on that. I mean, there was any number of people who were alleging that what award they might not get was based on a personal vendetta, which was honestly a little bit exhausting. Yeah, um, I, I think, like, to that end, sometimes it's so much easier for everybody involved to scream bias than it is to scream indifference. And, like, right. for a lot or- of... Go, Go or, or to just say what we always do, which is the semantics of it make it very difficult for everyone to decide exactly what they're voting for. So when they use their own metrics, the answers might be different. Yeah, I, and that's the – even for fans, they look at it and say, why does everyone hate my team or my city? And it's like, well, maybe everybody just doesn't have your team in your city front of mind, and that doesn't have to be right. hate-based. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck for us trying to extend some sort of uh, ration, rationality and logic <laughs> to the conversation. Um, someone today, uh, yesterday on Twitter asked why I was making fun of all the Cubs fans at, at the Brewer Stadium. And I was like, have you just gotten to sports? Like, do you know how all of this works? Uh, <laughs> Suns Mavericks game one next right here on ESPN Radio. Stick around to listen. It's been Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. I got the six.